Hey guys, this is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now before we get started, I just wanted to go to let you guys to know, know if you haven't already listened to the previous two episodes, meaning the previous Sunday edition and the previous, um, the previous, like, normal Saturday, third day episode, you should definitely go do that since they were on, since they were on the topics of perspective on the Sunday side, and that time I got reincarnated as a slime on the previous Thursday episode. So definitely go check those out. But what we'll be talking about today will be a far cry from the last Thursday episode or the movie episode or anything. And without further ado, let's get into what we're talking about today in kind of appropriate fashion since the movie came out, like, as I'm recording this, I think it came out the day or the date or two days before I'm recording this, and that is a little show called Review Starlight. Now, before we get into Review Starlight proper, I want to set this up a little bit because Review Starlight falls into a kind of show that if you're not watch- if you haven't watched these kinds of shows before, will seem very odd. The most, the best example of it, I think, out right now is a show called Q, which while it's all about voice acting and female voice acting it it blends multiple worlds of shows into one very specific um genre well multiple genres into one very specific niche genre and those two worlds are the kind of yuri focused not necessarily like homoerotic but like Girl on, not not even girl on girl. That's the wrong term there. Girl, female, not even girl, female centric romance show, like like romance and friendship shows. What I should say, like friendship show, 
like strong, strong girl, girl to girl personal relationship shows. Really, the phrasing I'm looking there, I'm looking for there, with the kind of men do not exist genre of anime. And if you're not sure what I'm talking about, um, a a earlier variant of this show, I would say. Not an earlier um, direct comparison to this show is a show, to this kind of show is a show like um, K-On! And K-On! is like a Moe girl doing cute things show, but the other thing about that show is like, men don't exist in K-On! They just like, people outside of the main character don't really exist in K-On! But specifically, men don't exist also in a show like K-On. And that's for a whole bunch of, like, focus reasons and, like, targeting reasons and all this other stuff. But, Reveal so Review Starlight takes that kind of show. And it's part, it's part of a genre that takes those, those two kinds of shows and creates it a new genre that is really focused on idols and these are like idol anime and if you know anything about idol anime you know that it's its own whole world and it's got its own staple shows and big and like big and small shows and things that are a big deal and not a big deal and Review Starlight has been like a big deal idol show for a while for a variety of reasons which we'll get to in a second, but I just wanted to let you know that if you're listening to this, you're like, what is Review Starlight? Like, what? I just looked this thing up. What? What is happening? There's a whole universe of idol shows and of idol shows where there's like explicitly 46 different characters. Like, there's like there's a character for every for every taste of the rainbow you may have. There's like a sleepy blue-haired girl who is constantly accompanied by a very awake, very sporty, like, jock girl who takes care of her. There is, like, this is, there's a girl with purple, shortish hair and glasses. Like, it's a, it's a check the boxes for the types kind of show. And the reason why I compare that to Q is because while Q is very much about voice acting and not about, you know, idols singing and performing, it had the same kind of formula. If you want a much simpler, like, idol show, you can go look at something like, um, Chance Pop Sensation, and that's a very, that's a much more, like, mainstreamed idol show. Um, but this is, but Review Starlight more falls into the like, Love Live, not even Love Live, it more falls into, like, the AKB0048, the Wake Up Girls kind of show. And those shows, and, and Love Live also, all, they're all about performing young teenage girls. But Review Starlight has always, like, stood out and stood out from the herd. Pardon the pun. Um, although I don't know... I don't know if giraffes travel in herds. Um, is what I'm gonna say there. 
because A, this show's got a giraffe, yo. But B, this show has a, like, fighting component to it. So, here's the basic concept of Review Starlight. Everybody goes to this, all the characters go to this one specific performing arts high school in um, Japan. I think in Tokyo specifically, but in Japan. And in that high school, there's like one level of reality that is like they are preparing for this, you know, musical review that happens at the end of every year. They do kind of the same, they do a version of the same play, a play called Starlight in the show's world every year. But along doing that, they have what's called a, um, audition. What, what Giraffe refers to as an audition. And that is, you get a weird text message. You get a weird notification on your phone. The, a notification you've never seen before, where you see a little giraffe picture. And giraffe says, you've been selected to audition, basically. Or something like They never show it, but, like, they... They all clearly get it on their phones. Like, all the characters clearly get it on their phones. And as, quote-unquote, stage girls, they audition, which means they sing. They, they don't necessarily sing, but, like, music plays, and sometimes they sing. And really fight in, like, a ritualistic duel that involves cutting a button off so a coat falls off of your shoulder... So you, so that person loses for who will be the top star. And much like the Christian symbolism doesn't matter in Evangelion, the, the duel doesn't, isn't really the point. The point is what the duel symbolizes, what, like, con what internal conflict in each of the characters the duel deals with. So, like, they have, like, the review of pride is, like, one of them that they call, or, like, the review of bonds, or the review of friendship, or the review of, like, or the review of stardom is one, it's one of them also, I think, so. I think. But the idea is that whoever, like, is at the top gets... To be the top star until they're dethroned, and so you're follow. So in this, so in this, in this scenario, you're following. You're kind of following. Um, two characters. You're following Karen Ijo, and I believe you're following. Um. Mahiru Tayuzaki. And these two characters are childhood friends characters. So, actually, no, you're following Hikari Kagura. Um, and, these two, and these two characters are childhood friend characters. But the thing here is, is that this is... So this came out in 2018. And it's... How should I put this? When you start dealing with this many characters, you kind of have to start dealing in stereotypes. 
because yes, you're going to f like spend an episode, maybe a couple episodes, focusing on each of on each of these characters and building them up, and you're going to pair them off in specific ways because of the dual concept in this storyline. But you have characters that you feel like you've seen before, and Hikari and Karen feel like childhood friend characters you've seen before. You feel like you've seen the two... Let me put it this way. You have seen the two female characters, or the two characters, period, who made a promise to each other when they were children and then got separated. And n then bump into each other, and one's a little prickly and harder, but she still cares about the promise, even if she can't show it. And... Those, like, so you're dealing with all of these unique problems in the form of these are stereotypes that they're using to tell this story, and this story, the story doesn't feel that un doesn't feel that new. But what is new is a the way they treat time in this in this um, show, and b the like ideas about what an antagonist looks like, what an antagonist like driving force is, what what the what all these duels are supposed to be saying about the character. And I don't think this show is doing anything new. But I think it's doing two things extremely well. It's got a really great presentation. So it's got this, like, they've got this, like, beautiful, aristocratic, over-the-top stage play-like costuming that they put the characters in for the duels. And they have this great transformation sequence that I thought I would get sick of, but I absolutely love every time they show it. Because they stop showing it at a point. Um... And that costuming, that transformation sequence, involves the, like, making of the stage girl costume. Like, the, the pressing of the shoulders, the, like, melting down and, like, creation of the button that goes on the, like, shoulder cape thing. And it's the, like, making of the weapons that, they'll, that they use, ultimately. And... It's a really interest. It's like a really interesting thing, and then it shows like the like the makeup process for the girl, and then all of a sudden they like appear on stage, and the whole thing is very performative and very dramatic and very like choreographed. But like I said, I don't think so. I think the I think the visuals of it are really striking. Um, I think the. I think the character character design the versions of almost classical anime girl designs they use that they came up with for these characters are really good versions of them. Like you'll see like anime hair you recognize. You'll see archetypes you recognize, but the versions of them and the little tweaks they make are really, really, really fascinating. So, 
spoilers from this point on. Because I'm going to jump straight to one of the bigger spoilers in the show. Fairly late, about with about four episodes left to, uh, I think it's like a 12 episode show. Um, I've got the page open right here, I can know that. Um, but fairly late in the show, it reveals that a character who barely even a side character, like more more was a background character and then seemingly got written off has been manipulating and controlling time in this show. And she and you get the strong sense that this character has been manipulating and controlling time because they need something. Because there's something that they they desperately need out of doing that. And that is and that character is Nana Daiba. And Nana Daiba is this character who starts out as what the show calls a stage girl directly, but also becomes, but kind of like seems to decide that she doesn't want to act in the play, in the in in the um. In the version of Starlight they're about to put on, and she's becomes more and more okay with not succeeding at like like her or like acting or dancing lessons. And so instead of participating in the play, she joins the stage crew and helps to like make the play happen behind the scenes. And at the time everybody all the characters including the two main characters are like, "Are you sure this is what you want? Like you joined this you joined you came to this school as a, you know, as a perform, as a performance in the perform on the performance track. Like, are you sure this is what you want? And even a couple of the like older characters, of the like more senior of the more senior like of the older feeling characters are like, hey, you should really think about you know, auditioning still. I think you still got it. And she's like, no, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm just happy that I can still help and all the stuff. And it seems kind of pathetic. What you learn later, what you, like what, what you learn with, what, like I said, like four or five episodes left in the show, about, I want to say roughly halfway through, is that Nanadaiba has been the top star for a long time. <laughs> And what she has been doing is she has been rewinding time for everyone involved. And no one knew it. So she can control... So she can relive this, like, beautiful moment in her life. And you... The way they do this is pretty... The way they reveal this is pretty smart. And it's one of the reasons... It's one of the reasons why I was like, I, I should talk about this show. Is they reveal that two characters are that this is a private school with dorm buildings and you can live off campus and all this stuff. But um, and there's two characters who live off campus: the like lazy blue-haired girl and the like rambunctious redhead girl. And the rambunctious redhead girl drives a motorcycle. It's, it's there's a whole episode devoted to them. Um, Futaba drives a motorcycle and um, 
the whole episode devoted to those two. But Nana and um, what's what's the character's name? Nana and Juna. Juna is a like overly organized, overly prepared, like intelligent girl with the, she's the girl with like shorter purple hair and glasses. Um, said to Nana like, "Oh, you're not going home." And then I was like, no, I'm staying here. I, I, I'm staying here. I don't really have a home to go to. Why aren't you going home? And she said, like, I decided I, would I wouldn't go home until I graduated. It's like a very studious, dedicated thing, move by her. But what you find out there is that you find out that, like, Nana, from what, wherever Nana Daiba came from, there's not an option. There's not really an option of going backwards for her, and she's never quite had a place to be. And she stumbled into a performance high school, a performing performing arts high school, that gave her like a found family, that gave her a found sisterhood, and she became really attached to all of her classmates. And, and at the end of, even before that scene, at the end of the, um, at the end of the, at the party that they celebrated the, like, the, um, rendition of Starlight that was a huge success, as they say in, like, the kind of not great dubbing style that they do with this show, um, you notice that everybody talk, is talking is talking to her and talking positively about her and lifting her up and thanking her profusely for what she did to make the play such a big success. And everybody's like, we couldn't have done it without you. Thank you so much. And it And even and even there, some of the characters who are perceived to be like the more strong-headed, stubborn, but still very talented characters in the show say, like, yeah, you did a great job, but you should still consider auditioning. Like, you could, you could totally be in the play. And you've got what it takes. And, and I was like, oh, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm just happy I could help. And so what you find out in that, like, little episode long less than episode long demonstration is you find out that Nana has like made a place for herself. This this young girl has made a place for herself in this school, in this like specific stretch of time, in this specific moment. And she has this kind of hyper focus on that particular stretch of time. And in her head she says, in her head she thinks, this, this is the best it will ever be. And what she probably means and doesn't realize, this is the best my life has ever been. Like, I, I wish I could exist in this forever. And, did, this is a topic that comes up a lot in anime. 
and it encompasses a bunch of different things. Like they 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 do it in Evangelion. They do it in and it comes in, up in a lot in what you would think of as thinking man's anime. If they do it in Evangelion, they do it in um, in Haruhi with the Endless Eight. Um, they they do it in a bunch of shows, but. The one I want to bring up here, the thing I want to bring up here, isn't any of those shows. The thing I want to bring up here is Naruto. And I know you're like, the fuck? And I want to bring up specifically Naruto Shippuden. So, one of the great things about Naruto Shippuden, and one of the ultimately terrible things about Naruto Shippuden, is that Naruto Shippuden ran for so long because it was so popular that it had to get into shit that, like, otherwise no one would care about. It had to get into the kind of world-building shit that really the only other place you see that is giant shonen shows like Naruto because they run for so long. Like, they showed the driver's test in Dragon Ball Z as a gag episode. That show has hundreds of episodes. And they had the time to be like, no, we're just going to spend a, an episode on Goku getting, on Goku and Piccolo getting a driver's license. And it's going to be hilarious and terrible. Um, but that kind of world development, that kind of stretching out in Naruto led to like the, what they call the infinite Tsukiyomi arc. And that's when all the characters basically get fucking hypnotized. And they go to like a dream world. And at some point, and at some point, each like dream arc ends when they get broken out of the dream world because something doesn't feel right, something changed, something whatever. In Naruto's case, he like goes back to a he goes to a version of the world where his mom and dad are still alive, which is like so crushing. Uh, but that's kind of the best explanation for what Nana Daiba is doing to everyone in her class and she's saying she's doing it to protect them because of another thing in that in that one episode i think i think the episode is called nana daiba um actually i know it is um and that is at the end of when everybody comes back from vacation she's like oh it looks like these two people aren't here yet and um and june says oh they must have dropped out and then you see her taking their nameplates off of the door. And she's like, I guess this is my job too now. And it's this really somber thing. And Nana so rejects that. She was already in like the rejection headset, brain mindset with the, with the version of Starlight that she was so attached to being in the past that she straight up is like, nope, mm-mm. And she wins her review fight. And she continues to rewind time. And she sees it as protecting everybody. And the one who ultimately breaks through her like stubborn-headedness is Hikari. And Hikari... And ultimately Karen breaks break through it like in really different ways. Now I'm going to talk about the fucking giraffe. I forget what the giraffe name is. 
not entirely sure he has a giraffe. But there's this giraffe with this domineering male voice. And all he ever... And he, like, explains things and he just says, I understand. A lot. But he's kind of the overseer of all these auditions. All these, like, Starlight... All the Starlight Review auditions. And the scorekeeper. But... What he also is, is the person who's, is, is the, the thing making, not even the person, the thing, the animal, making the rules to this whole thing. And as a result, he's like, there can be only one, one top star. And our two main characters, like the two leads, Karen and Hikari, Ultimately reject that and ultimately change like change that and change this whole allegory being made by Starlight to be a posit to feel more positive by the end. And like I said, the show isn't doing necessarily anything new with his characters or its storytelling, but the presentation and the little twists it puts on everything really give it a life of its own. And I'm like... That, that, that doesn't make up ultimately for its like lack of... big... For, for its lack... For its like... Just another one of these with a little bit of this flavor in it, kind of thing. Because if you wanted to watch a like really weird, really big, bombastic idol show with a lot of fighting in it, go find AKB 0048. Like, that's gonna be a weird time, it's gonna be a significantly more fun, weird time than this. But it this it has such a style, has such a Has such a unique, has not a unique vibe, but like such a specific vibe that is definitely there for people. And I, I can totally understand, like, oh, of course they made a movie. Like, they absolutely would make a movie out of this. This, this whole show feels like it wants a cinematic thing. And it feels like it's built for a fan base. That's like, oh, I'll go see them in their weird shoulder coats on a, you know, movie screen. Of course I will. I want that transformation scene as big and as beautiful as it can be. And the other... In the same vein that, like, the presentation is great, the, the like, hilarious joke about K-On! is, like, that show... It's not very much about the music. To the extent that it's about the music, it's about the like the characters faking playing music as a joke as if they are playing seriously. You don't you don't really see them play all that much in K-On. Most of the music stuff in K-On is the opening sequence and the ending sequence. <laughs> That's about it. In this show, the music 
feels like it's probably being sung by the original voice actresses on some level. Um, it, the presentation is set up to be very almost music video-esque. When you get the song, you get the name of the song, you get like really good like out of context framing for the song. Oh, this is the song they're singing. And it it all jives together with the scene in a really specific way. And like the and also just like the background music on like the transformation sequence when the outfit is being made is so good. It's so like mystical and slightly frantic and like uh, something funky is happening here, and I don't. But it, where does this giraffe get these resources? I have questions, and the show really kind of encourages you to ans- to ask those questions, but also kind of lets you know, like we're not going to answer them. We're not going to answer them. What we we. Like the rules of Evangelion are set up in order to facilitate the storytelling and facilitate the character journeys in Evangelion, the rules of the Starlight Review are specifically set up to force all these young, all these young female characters to deal with their shit. To deal with, like their jealousy of their friend, to deal with their, like, feelings around, like, what's right and wrong, or what they want for the future, or any of this stuff. And, I think the, like, use of Nana Daiba, it feels like it could have been hokey, and like it could have been weird, but especially with the fact that, like, she holds on when she loses to when she finally loses to um, Hikari. She holds on to that like anger at that loss, and she's like, "I have to get back to the top. I have to protect everybody, including Hikari." And you get a whole, real sense during from her character that she's not doing this for other people. She's not protecting people for their sake. She's protecting people for her sake because she has found, she's found like the most comfortable way to be. And believe you me, I I may be a total sadist who jumps recently jumped back into three D printing and has. I've had probably an equal number of failures and success and successes in terms of prints, but um. Like, I, I know what, what it is to want that kind of comfort. All of us do at some point. All of us, in our, not even our worst moments, but in our most human moments of weakness. And I want to be clear, not our worst moments, but like in most, in our most human moments of weakness, what we want is some kind of comfort. And there's nothing wrong with that. But what's wrong with it, in Nana's, in Nana Diva's case, is that she, she wants 
it so badly that she's willing to drag everybody along with it. And when Hikari shows up, she's like, this isn't right. You're not, you're not supposed to be here. This is different. I don't, we don't do different. We do the same thing for six months at a time, for, for a year at a time. And then we throw back the clock and we do it again. <laughs> and she wants to incorporate Hikari. But now that Hikari's here, that's affecting... That's affecting Karen. And because Hikari is from Karen's past. And Karen... And Nana realized, like, ultimately... Karen Ijo is the one who... Cha who chained... Who acted unlike herself unlike she has ever before and yes that triggered it by Hikari but she's the one who's different now Hikari's just the new person that's dealable but the way that Karen acted acted when she like invaded somebody else's um Starlight Review audition was Totally unlike her up until that point. So. I guess what I'm trying to say about Review Starlight is. If you like it and want more of it. I would encourage you to go see the movie. I have not seen the movie yet. Mostly because. I just got. I got too much other shit I want to do man. <laughs> um, but also if you haven't seen Review Starlight. It's on High Dive. It's probably worth your time. It's a, it's a really deep dive into like anime, anime female character archetypes. It's a, you know, it's an idol anime. It's, oh, it's a lot of otaku things all at once, and that I, I can tell you that won't be for everybody, but for the people it's for, I think it will be inter an interesting watch, and. I think probably the, and this is probably just because I'm watching The Vow, and The Vow is, I'm watching, the, if you don't know what The Vow is, The Vow is a um, docu-series on HBO Max, and it, it, um, it lays out the reality around the cult known as Nexium, which was an nightmare thing and you you listen to you listen to the like founder of Nexium um I think his name is Keith Reeves and you listen to the way he speaks to like everyone and you're like people don't talk like this people don't like not people don't even really have internal monologues like this like they don't just rattle off Russian philosophers and like in my brain, I'm like that should be the first. That should be the first friggin' red flag of like, mm, always with the Russian philosophers. I think we're gonna leave. I'm gonna never talk to you again. I think that's what's gonna happen. This feels culty. I. This. This show. 
has that problem in that, like, people either talk super casually or they talk, like, in big, grandiose concepts. And that can get a little exhausting. But, like I said, I think this is a really interesting... Um, I believe it's, um, like, some, like, four, like, um, it's, I think it's, um, it's, how many episodes do we have here? It's, um, I think it's, like, it's, tw- it's 12 episodes, so it's not a huge commitment. It's, like, you can watch it over maybe two weeks, and it's, it will keep you watching because it does a good job of. It got it, probably its most effective tool is a the sound effect and b the visual for when one of the stage girls gets invited to audition, and it's like it's like this very specific ringtone and it's this very specific, like giraffe icon giraffe with a moon behind it icon and then like a a um a character saying saying something along the lines of like oh a giraffe how cute and then it like cuts off and it's like next episode and that's that's a really good just like foreshadowing and usually what they're doing all on the way to that moment, on the way to that kind of, like, now we're into the, like, audition fight scenes, is they're... they're drawing out the... um... the problem, like, these... this character or these two characters are facing. And what, one of the great things they do with this show is that they, for like, for like June, when June shows up in the, in the audition against her opponent, I can't remember what her opponent was, um, her opponent knows her, but is like, why are you here? I ha- had no idea of what, what the pro- what June was after. Um, actually, the best one is, um, Kuroko, and, I think it's Kuroko, and Futaba. And, um, like, they're in, like, an abusive relationship, basically. Like, Kuroko depends on Futaba for everything, and is a lazy piece of shit about everything. And Futaba just loses it on her. Loses it. And through the, their, like, audition fight, you know, Kuroko is like, oh, I might be the asshole. And, like, she doesn't really change, but she changes just enough where you can see that she's learned. And Futaba doesn't change, but she changes just enough to be tough enough to, like, say, like, no, I won't drive you back on the bike. We're walking to build up strength, asshole. And no, we can't take a cab. It's like 50 bucks. Keep hoofing it, girl. And it's... It's really... 
that slight, those little moments of growth happen for every character. Like what those the auditions that they have, like, these like audition matches they keep having, keep having consequences in really meaningful ways, and that turns that turns this into having that translates into character development and translates into character behaving slightly differently and subtly differently. Um, that's a little underdone by the near end of the show when they suggest that like if you win and you become and you and you knock a girl out of the stage girl competition, then you ultimately you take their star power as your own and like you defeat that girl. But in the um in practice of the show it's like I said the rules of the game don't really matter. It's what happens when these characters are playing the game. And it's just, it makes it a really interesting um, take on the idol girls anime kind of thing. Because it's not entirely just like girls performing, being cute, and being... And also... If the fight scenes are done using CGI models, I can't tell. It, my gut is they're not, because they're like beautifully animated. The show has has budgeted up the wazoo, so definitely go check it out. Like I said, it's on High Dive. And if you like this episode, um, new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday is more like this. It's more about a show, a movie. If you go, um, if you go back, not the last Thursday edition, but starting with the Thursday, before that, all, all four Thursday editions from the month of May are specifically about movies. So you can go to Movie May, you can listen to all those episodes. Um, the Sunday edition is more metatextual. It's more about concepts I've been thinking about in anime or in the anime industry, or in the anime fandom. Um, so definitely look forward to that. That comes out currently every other Sunday, um, because I'm going easy on myself. But on that note, I have been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. And I will talk to you next Thursday. <laughs>